Well, good morning. It is great to see you. I'm glad you decided to be with us this morning. Uh, we are in our third week uh, of a new series in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes that we have titled Chasing Meaning. Uh, if you've been with us at all, you've seen the reality that Ecclesiastes is a sobering book. It's a sobering book. Many, many people think that the author known as the preacher or in Hebrew as Kohelet is quite the pessimist, uh, but I believe he's more a realist than a pessimist. This book really is a great gift for us in our current times because it welcomes the cynic with their questions. It welcomes everybody who's tired and worn out by the day-to-day -day grind of life. It is a book that resists giving Christian cliches and it discourages a naive Christianity. Uh, the preacher holds no punches, but is trying to get us to be honest about life under the sun, life here in the real world. In chapter one, we saw that all is vanity, all is hevel, the Hebrew word, uh, translated, uh, I referenced as all is smoke. Everything's smoke, toil, as much as you like to climb the mountain of success or the mountain of power, the mountain of acclaim, but you will always be left trying to grasp more. And if you taste some of what you're trying to climb, it is short-lived for everything is smoke. It's elusive and it doesn't last. Chapter, week, uh, chapter two last week, we saw that even if we pursue all pleasures, if we pursue happiness in every way that we can imagine, we will be left unfulfilled. That in this life, we might taste satisfaction for a moment, but fulfillment is only found in life with God as our created design and God-given purpose merge together. In chapters one through two, and really much of this book, it highlights the truth that life in God's world is all gift, not gain. That we are to enjoy life as gift. This week, we're going to be forced to embrace the reality that life under the sun often feels like a rodeo. That we're holding on for dear life, but the bucking of life comes and goes and we're tossed up and down by circumstances and frustrations and events. And we have rodeo clowns that kind of help us when we fall off to get back on and we get back on and we hold on for dear life. That's how we might feel this morning. The world seems to be spinning and bucking. Friendships are strained, families falling apart, children experiencing pain, people losing their jobs. We're wondering if Iran might retaliate, the deadly Wuhan virus is spreading and our president is standing trial for impeachment. We've had hundreds of people get displaced from McDougal Terrace and here we are on a Sunday morning singing together in this beautiful sanctuary while the world is spinning all around us. And when we get bucked off, we have moments like fun time with friends or a short vacation or you know, a night out. And it serves like a rodeo clown to help us stand back up, to get back on and hold on for the ride. Now, honestly, if we're all honest, life feels often like it, we're out of control. And we want to exert control, but we cannot control the timing of things in our lives. And it's the inability to control timing that leaves us confused, frustrated, and questioning what in the world is happening. The preacher, Kohelet, in chapter 3, is trying to make sense of time. 
and timing in our world. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we give attention to God's word in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, looking at verses 1 through 15 together. This is God's word to us this morning. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. The prophet Isaiah tells us the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Now, let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you would come and, and that you would meet us this morning. In whatever time and whatever season we are experiencing in our lives, I pray that we would know that you are a God who is with us and for us. I pray that you, Jesus, would be lifted up in this time and that you would draw all hearts and minds to you and that we would leave here trusting you more than we trusted you as we walked in. I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I want to start by giving you a little bit of insight into my life. Uh, if you want me to lose my religion, tell me to put together a piece of Ikea furniture. Have a hard enough time doing a simple handyman project, but a, a piece of Ikea furniture is straight from the pit of darkness. Thousands of pieces that you can easily put together for furniture. It's infuriating just to visibly see all the pieces, much less try to assemble them to fit together. A pure recipe for disaster for me, really for anyone, but more so for me because I'm impatient, is to attempt to assemble the furniture by freestyling. To figure out the assembly as you go, it's not a good idea. If you want to succeed putting this furniture together, you must follow the instructions. Got to follow the blueprint because only the architect of the furniture knows how all the pieces fit together. Life is a lot like putting together a piece of Ikea furniture. It's complex and we're not the architect. We don't have the blueprints of our lives and how everything that happens and the timing of everything fits together. But God is and he's making our lives into something very beautiful. 
The first thing I want us to look at this morning is that life is complex. We see this in verses 1 through 8. The preacher starts in verse 1, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And then in verses 2 through 8, he fleshes out in a poem this statement of time and season for everything. And starts by saying there's a time to be born and a time to die. This is the whole of life from day one to our last day here on earth. I think we would all agree this morning that nobody in here controls the day you were born, much less the year you're born or the family you're born into or the country you're born in. Apart from taking one's own life, nobody here knows when and where their last day on earth will be. So the poem starts by giving us the whole of life and then hitting us in the face with the truth that we have no control over the whole of our lives. And then the remainder of this poem fleshes out the different experiences of life that most of us engage in in one time or another. Right? It's, it's really in the poem's structure that we see the complexity of life. Look with me again. There are good times and bad times. Right? There's times to kill and times to heal. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Good and bad times. But not all seasons have an opposite that are either straightforwardly good or bad. Look again in the, in the poem. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. Right? Each of these are good when done at the right time. And then other seasons seem to be ambiguous in the poem. There's a, a time to search and a time to give up. I mean, which one of those is more favorable? I think the preacher is teaching through this poem that the whole of life, from birth to death, is full of choices and decisions that require wisdom. And often the wisdom seems to escape us because there is a right time for every single one of these seasons. And can you imagine if you knew the timing of everything? Uh, if you knew why it was coming and when it was coming, how much wisdom you would have to live in the present moment. Uh, there's been a fascination with time travel for a long time, but for me, uh, growing up, it was Back to the Future, right, Michael J. Fox. I mean, what if the future you could travel back to be with the past you? Can you imagine how clear and easy decisions would be? But herein lies our frustration with our lives. We are bound by time. We cannot travel back in time. We cannot see why things are the way they are. We cannot see why our semesters are going the way they're going. We cannot see why our jobs are the way they are or our friendships, our dating life, our marriage, our children, our parents. We cannot see why things are the way they are. Someone once said uh, that we're all like a grasshopper in tall grass that we cannot see out and above what is right in front of us, which is our present time, but we try to jump up to get a glimpse. We jump up, but we can't stay up long enough. We can't see far enough, and we come back down and we get frustrated and confused and angry in our present because we cannot see why, and we're unable to see the future. Instead of seeing the future and knowing the future, the preacher counsels us to know our place. Our place is seen in verse 9. What gain has the worker for his toil? This is the same rhetorical question that we saw in chapter 1. And the answer is a resounding nothing. 
There is no gain. There's no gain. The only thing we know is that we will die. The only thing we know for certain is that death visits everyone's door. That's sobering. But it gives us the perspective of knowing our place. And I think that's why verses 1 through 8 is one of the most popular Bible passages to read at a funeral. Uh, Verses 1 through 8, it's read at Christian funerals. It's read at non-Christian funerals. I think the reason is because death is the one thing that no one can stop from coming. There will be a time of death for everyone. It is the sobering reality of life under the sun. Now, if we stopped at verse 8, which many people do, we might feel hopeless. And so that's why we need to look at verses 9 through 15. And it's here that we're given truth that is both comforting and challenging. It's a truth that leads us to walk wisely in this complex world. And here's my second point. God is in control. Life is complex. God is in control. Verse 1 actually gives us this truth, but we can miss it. So let me go back to verse 1, and then we'll go to verses 10 through 15. Verse 1 says everything, and everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. The Hebrew, Hebrew word for time there can be translated appointed time. There's a time that is appointed by the God who controls the times and the seasons. And then in verse 1, instead of the often used phrase in Ecclesiastes, under the sun, it is the phrase under heaven. Again, highlighting that there is one who is in control over time, one who is not bound by time but exists over and above time, and he appoints seasons and timing under heaven because he rules and reigns from heaven. He is sovereign over all things in complete control over all things that come to pass in this world and in our lives. Now, here's something that we all need to understand. Just because God makes time for something, it doesn't mean that he takes delight in it. God does not delight in war. God does not delight in the time of weeping over the death of a family member. God doesn't delight in tears that are shed because of loneliness or hurt or pain. Our hope comes in verse 11. Look at verse 11. God makes everything beautiful in its time while we have eternity in our hearts. Eternity in our hearts means we're, we're yearning, we're longing for eternity, we're longing for all things to be made well. But as long as we are bound by time, we trust that God is in control over time. And he's making all things beautiful in his right timing. Even the dark times and the lonely times and the painful, sad, and frustrating times, God is in control. God is in control. This is comforting. You know, my three boys, whether they know it or not, are comforted by my and Rachel's parenting. Now, they are very often frustrated by our parenting, but there is great comfort because we see a bigger picture for their lives than they do. There are times when we want them to eat vegetables and protein and not just bread and mac and cheese because we know they need it to get stronger and healthier. When bedtime comes, We want them to brush their teeth every night so that they don't get cavities. 
When the time comes to get dressed for school, we want them to, to wear clean underwear so that they don't smell at school. When the time of 7 p.m. comes every night, we want them to go to bed so they can get enough sleep for the next day. Children don't always see how this provides comfort, but it really does relieve them of stress and worry as we as their parents coordinate their lives for them, buying groceries for them, driving them to school, taking them to basketball and soccer practice. See, we are often like children who get frustrated by certain times in our lives. But one of the big things the preacher is trying to get us to understand is that the one way, or the one way we are to live in this world through the different times and seasons is to know that we are limited from seeing the big picture, which leads us to trust that God is in control and that he has promised that he is making the daily, monthly, and yearly specifics of our lives fit together into a larger, bigger, beautiful picture in his right timing. Matthew 10, verse 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. See, God is in control and our good father he is, he's not just a sovereign God, he is a good father. He is intimately acquainted, as Timothy prayed earlier, with everything you're going through. He's intimately acquainted with all that you are bearing right now. There is nothing insignificant to him about your life. You are extremely valuable to him. So we need not worry because nothing happens in our lives outside of the father's care. Now, without a doubt, there will be times we do not like. Kids don't like brushing their teeth. There will be times we don't like. We don't like times of war. We don't like times of losing. We don't like times of being plucked up. We don't like times of mourning. And God doesn't ask us to like them. But he does ask us to trust him. That even in the times of confusion, in times when things are unclear, that he's caring for us and that he is good. And that if his eye is on the sparrow, he watches over you and he watches over me. So we may not see the blueprint. We don't have the big picture of our lives, but he is putting together all the small pieces into a larger, beautiful portrait. This is a challenge, but it's also extremely comforting. In verses 12 to 13, we see the result of trusting that a good God is in control. Look at verses 12 through 13. It says, I, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. A good friend of mine says that the preacher throughout Ecclesiastes sprinkles in odes to joy. Right? What feels like pessimism, what I'm saying is realism. He sprinkles in these odes to joy. This is an ode to joy. When we know that God is in control, we can enjoy the present time. If we are like grasshoppers trying to jump up and see the future, it will actually destroy our ability to enjoy the present because we're consumed by the future. Now, I know we have some Enneagram fans in here. 
Uh, the Enneagram's popularity is spread for good or bad. I like it for many reasons. It's been hijacked by many, but uh, if you don't know what the Enneagram is, it's a personality profile test. It profiles people uh, based on personality and puts them into numbers. They're number one, two, three, four, all the way to number nine. And each number has kind of a, a name or a title. Uh, number one is the perfectionist. Number nine is the peacemaker. Right, they're kind of per personality types. And one of the things that I find interesting about the Enneagram is that it says every personality type has an orientation to time. Everybody, everybody's oriented to time in some way. Some are oriented to the past, some to the present, some to the future. I'm an Enneagram 3, number 3, which is the achiever. And if you know me, that shouldn't surprise you. Uh, and a 3's orientation to time is future, which means most of the time I'm thinking about what's next. I'm thinking about what's coming. And there's a lot of positives to that. I can plan, I think about what needs to happen. When I'm unhealthy, or in other words, when I'm not trusting that God is in control, I become obsessed with the future. Am I gonna be successful? I get afraid of failing. I become consumed by everything that needing to be in order. And what it does to me is it makes me miss the present moment. I don't take delight in what is happening right now. That's why I love being around sevens. My wife is a seven, which is the enthusiast. Okay. In the moment, loving the now, sevens orientation to time is, is present. Sevens help me enjoy the present. Because if I'm not mindful, I can blow through the present consumed by the future. But God wants me to wake up and enjoy that cup of coffee. That's a good gift. Just the smell of coffee is a good gift. God wants me to enjoy going to the YMCA on Saturdays and watching my oldest son play basketball. God wants me to enjoy snuggling with my six-week-old. God wants me to enjoy walking my dog around the block. God wants you to enjoy your life, to enjoy the sunrise or the sunset. God wants you to enjoy that walk or that run. God wants you to enjoy a good meal or that TV show. God wants you to enjoy the flowers as they bloom. We're all enabled to enjoy the moment when we trust he's in control. Verses 12 through 13 are letting us know, don't let what you can't control cause you to miss what you can enjoy. To enjoy life as gift, not gain. The closing two verses of our passage instruct us in two really important ways. Verse 14 says, what God does endures forever. Right, this God who's not bound by time. What he does endures forever, therefore we fear him. We walk day to day in fear, meaning in awe of our God who is in control over all time. Trusting that he's good and that he's making everything beautiful in his right timing. Proverbs teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To live in awe of God leads us to walk wisely in this world, to know our place under the sun. Right? And we know his place as the one who's ruling from heaven. He's sovereignly holding all things in his hand, making every single thing beautiful in its time, even the tragedies. Even your losses and your hurts and your tears and your pains. Look at verse 15. I've always glossed over verse 15, honestly, but it's deeply impacted me all week. Verse 15 at the end, it says, God seeks 
what has been driven away. Meaning, our good Father deliberately goes to find all the stray details of our past, but they're not stray details to Him. He seeks what's been driven away. He goes after the dark moments and the disasters of our lives, the hurts and the tears, and God redeems the times and seasons that we do not like. God will bring justice to injustice. And in doing so, God makes our dark seasons and our dark times into our great possessions because one day, someday, we will see how our good Father and our sovereign architect brought together all the pieces of our lives, even the painful ones, and created a beautiful portrait. This past week, I learned a new art form that I never knew existed from a CNN article, Rubik's Cube Art Portraits. I didn't know that existed, but it does. Fairly popular. I saw a teenage boy who did a Rubik's Cube uh, portrait of the WWE wrestler and actor John Cena. I was on CNN as I was scrolling through, so I clicked on it, and then I Googled and saw this is a pretty, pretty big thing. There are artists who take hundreds of Rubik's Cubes and create large portraits of people like Marilyn Monroe and Bob Marley. Right? Rubik's Cubes are complicated. Just to do one of them is hard enough for me. Life is complex. Like a Rubik's Cube. But thankfully, God is the artist who is orchestrating and putting together all the pieces and times of our lives into a beautiful portrait. Now hear me, God is a good father in sovereign control. If you were to read the Old Testament book of Jonah, the word appointed is everywhere. Jonah flees the call of God and, uh, and runs to Tarshish, and then it, this starts. God appointed the ship for Jonah. God appointed the fish to swallow him. God appointed the time for him to be spit up. God appointed for him to go preach to Nineveh. All of these appointed seasons and times led to Jonah being brought back into a more intimate relationship with God and the whole city of Nineveh believing and trusting in God. In Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, when the fullness of time had come, when the appointed time had come, God sent forth his son to redeem us so that we might be made children of the living God. At the right time, the righteous died for the ungodly. Acts chapter 2, verses 23 to 24 says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. And God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. That God sought after the darkest and most horrible injustice that ever happened. The holy, innocent, completely righteous Son of God crucified on a cross. And the good Father made something terrible, beautiful in his time. For it is through the cross that the resurrected Jesus brings healing to the whole world. And if our good Father can redeem this, can you not trust that he is redeeming every season and every time of your life? Let's pray. Lord God, I do ask that you would help us to see your goodness and your sovereignty, to trust you no matter what's happening in our lives, and the good and the bad and the confusing and the clear. May we trust you and may it lead us to a more intimate relationship with you to walk with you, 
to know your love for us, that you care deeply for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.